Welcome to the Corecast, where we interview Jewish leaders and discuss issues relevant to the Jewish community in Canada and around the world. I'm your host, Richard Rabkin. Welcome, Corecast listeners. I have the great privilege of having Rabbi Moshe Stern on the Corecast today. He is the Rabbi Emeritus of Shari Tila Synagogue. He was the president of the Vatarbanam of Toronto. He was a member of the Rabbinical Vatakashras of the COR. Rabbi Moshe Stern, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, you know, this is a really tremendous opportunity for, for us to hear really about your time in in the rabbinate, your time in Toronto. I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you kind of made your way to Shari Tvila, and then we'll take it from there. I am one of these rare birds. There are others, but the, I think it's semi-rare, of uh, being a Canadian rabbi. Uh, most of the rabbis, uh, pulpit rabbis, uh, in uh, North America and in Canada are uh, usually Americans who came uh, came here. Uh, many of whom uh, received smicha ordination at uh, Yeshiva University or uh, various other yeshivas. I was born in Montreal um, and uh, raised in Montreal. Went to the yeshivas in Montreal. Went to the Lubavitch Yeshiva in Montreal when Rav Hirschsprung. Zecher Tzadik Lebrocha, the Rosh Yeshiva, when he came over and kind of joined forces with the Yeshiva, and he became the Rosh Yeshiva, and uh, I, that's where I got uh, through him, uh, Smicha. And uh, I, I, in, when I was 21 years old, prior, 21 years old in Montreal, uh, I decided, and the word came <laughs> went out that uh, a, an assistant rabbi was needed. A youth director, assistant rabbi, whatever, uh, needed in the south, Savannah, Georgia. And at that time I was engaged to be married to my wife, Sarah, her maiden name is Schwartzbaum, uh, Sarah Schwartzbaum, who became Sarah Stern. But I, we weren't married yet. But I was anxious to get on with my, my life. And so I took that job in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, then a year later, we got married. We were there three years. We had one child. Born in Savannah. Born in Savannah. And from Savannah, we went to uh, Birmingham, Alabama. We were already in the South, and we got word that there's a shul in Alabama, Birmingham, actually in Mountain Brook, that needed a rabbi. Uh, and, uh, and I was all of 24 years old. And I went and I, with the brook of the Lubavitch Rebbe, whom... Who, who said, yes, you should go, you know, whatever. And uh, what I thought would be a short stay uh, down south in the United States turned out 12 years uh, in Birmingham, we built, uh, which we were, uh, at that time, we, uh, we, we had a mikveh, we made that, there was a mikveh, then we had a small shul, then the shul expanded, we got a social hall, we, we uh, built a day school, we left a day school with a, Quite a number of children. When my and four of my children, uh, out of the five, we have five children: Bliai and Hora, one from Savannah, four born in Alabama. And when my oldest, my oldest, Tovit, uh, uh, was uh, bat mitzvah age or was ready to go into high school, 
we realized because uh, the day school uh, would not continue into our high school. We tried; uh, it was not feasible at, at that point and that time, and so on. So you didn't want her going to. And we did not. Of course, we did not want. I, I remember something interesting that the. You know, the, the people were very nice down there. People have certain images, Alabama and so on. It was a very nice Kehillah. About 5,000 Jews, you know, and we were the Orthodox shul. Uh, but when they came and we said that we have to leave, and, uh, you know, thank God the people didn't want us to leave. So they suggested, you, you might send your oldest, why don't you send her maybe to Montreal, where my parents, my wife's parents, they were all still alive. You don't know, I'm sure they'll, you know, she'll have where to this day with the bubbies, say these, and so on. So I remember my wife saying to them, would you send your child away? That kind of ended the conversation, you know. And, and then uh, I got wind of the synagogue in Toronto, Sharei uh, Tefillah. I came in for the interview and so on, and, uh, and we're, this is uh, uh, around 1980, 79, 80. And uh, and uh, the rest, in a way, is history. We came, became part of the shul, and we stayed. Uh, I was the rabbi of the shul for over uh, 32 years, uh, and uh, we had many interesting, wonderful experiences. The people were absolutely marvelous, wonderful. You know, you hear all kinds of stories about rabbis and so on. You know, my claim to fame is I only had, aside from being an assistant rabbi. Uh, before I was even married, but in terms of a rabbi of a shul, I only had two shuls, that one in Mountain Brook or Alabama, it was really a suburb of Birmingham, and then Toronto, and then I retired. Uh, and uh, so we had certain, uh, we, uh, we, we had certain interesting uh, things that happened. One of the things about Toronto, and myself being a Canadian, sort of coming back, quote, home, not to Montreal, but to Toronto, was I became very involved in a way uh, politically. As I, I don't know if everybody was happy about that or not, but I was involved politically. What does that mean, involved, involved politically? You you spoke from the pulpit of I the politics, I or you lobbied? Well, I lobbied, I spoke sometimes to the pulpit, in couched words, you know. There are certain rules and regulations, what you could say, you can't say. Uh, but I felt it's important to go to bat and to, to help as much as I possibly could in my limited way, uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish community. One of the uh, things, uh, uh, Kurt Rothschild, you might know the name, uh, a name that's vital to, to the, whatever success you have, we have here in Toronto over the years in terms of Chinuch, uh, uh, Judaism in general, and, and so on. And it's uh, Mr. Kurt Rothschild, who should live and be well, and, and the God should grant him many good years, uh, more years of health. But uh, he was constantly, constantly uh, uh, on the uh, uh, on the battle. To him, it was a form of a battle. But he he encouraged very much that the Orthodox rabbis need to be more involved in the general community if we want to have any impact. Uh, I got I was involved in UJA. I got myself involved. You know, in in the education uh, distribution of funds uh, to to the various yeshivas and day schools and so on, on the committees of the UJA and so on, and you, we and I felt that uh, if we if we want to be heard, we have to make ourselves be heard in order to have any kind of impact within the community. And uh, one of my prime concerns, of course, was Eretz Yisrael, Medinat Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael. 
uh, being involved in, in, in that. And so I have some interesting tales about that as well. Well, I would love to hear it. Why don't you pick one or two of those pick tales one of those and share? Tales. Well, the one thing I can tell you was uh, uh, in 1981, I got a call from a representative of Rabbi Kahana, Oliver Sholem, uh, who's uh, part of this community. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure he was the one who actually made the call. Uh, Mayor Weinstein, I don't know if you're familiar, the JDL in this community. Right, I people think there is a JDL chapter. Yeah, when people still, hear yeah. the letters JDL, you know, Jewish defense, it's not, they, they shouldn't be frightened by those letters. We have to defend ourselves. That's what JDL is, to defend the rights of the Jewish people. And this Mayor Weinstein is a phenomena. I don't think he's appreciated enough personally, but my opinion. But in any case, I got a call if I would, if Sharei Tefillah would host Rabbi Kahane. And uh, I was, uh, I, I, I said yes. I, I, you know, I was very excited about it. In fact, I passed it to the members of the board. He was at the other shuls would not allow him. They were fr- afraid to have him. Uh, they thought uh, maybe he was too radical, and even if he's not so radical, but others think he's radical. Uh, I, for whatever reason, it didn't look good in the public eye to have Mayor Kani, so they wouldn't allow it. I passed it through my board, and Baruch Hashem, and they have, they deserve the credit. They could have said, sorry, Rabbi, uh, you know, we prefer, you know, we don't want... Uh, no, they said to me, look, you're the Rabbi, if you think it's Okay, if you think we should have him, go ahead. We should have him. So we had him. And we were, uh, uh, it was packed to the rafters. I mean, it looked like, the show looked like on Kipper, if you know what I mean. People came out of curiosity and so on. And he stayed with us uh, in my home for the day, for the night, whatever. So he, uh, before he started, he came to the synagogue. Before, we were picketed that time outside the show. Bathurst, where we are, in the Sharitville, Bathurst and Neptune. We were picketed by Shalom Achshav organization, which is a left wing. They still exist. I don't know if they exist here in Toronto anymore, but in Israel, they certainly still exist. So it wasn't a non-Jewish organization? No, it was a Jewish organization. They were picketing out in front that we have a racist, we have a bigot, you know, all these uh, left wing... uh, pejorative adjectives they enjoy using, which they still use today, by the way. And anybody, the left part, the left in the world of politics, anytime you disagree with them, you're either a bigot or a racist or a homophobe or Islamophobe, and and you can go on and on and on. Uh, But so they picketed us. And uh, before he spoke, Rabbi Kahani, uh, three uh, relatively tall gentlemen uh, dressed in suits came up to me and flashed a badge and asked me uh, are you are you the rabbi here or you, or you were pointed out as the rabbi I said yes I'm the rabbi they said uh, well we're from the government that was the first reaction we're from the government and uh, they uh, I, I was thinking uh, police here from the government I paid my tax you know like uh, I was wondering why they were here it turns out they were from the RCMP and it turns out that Rabbi Kahani w- was considered, which I didn't know, 
a, I found out later, persona non grata, which means you cannot enter Canada from the United States or any other place if you have that label persona non grata. Uh, in other words, uh, you're, you're not welcome. You're not welcome into the country unless you get permission from the Foreign Affairs Department which he did not. He had a passport. He flew into Canada over here at Pearson Airport, picked up and brought to my home and there, whatever. And, you know, and then nothing happened. Everything was just a routine. But I'd, I discovered later through the late Attorney General of Canada at that time, Bob Kaplan, all of us Shalom, very fine person, Joe Tannenbaum's son-in-law, he told me, he said he had no choice to have him arrested because somebody mustered, squealed to the Foreign Affairs Department that uh, Rabbi Khan is here illegally because they checked and they found out that he didn't get the permission he needed to come. And so once somebody, because I asked him, the, the Attorney General, I spoke to him, I said, how can you have another Jew arrested for what? What is he being arrested for? That's when I discovered it. And he said, his hands are tied. Somebody made a complaint. What can he do? Well, it's interesting. So those three police were RCMP. They told me that they're going to have to arrest him. But it's okay. He can speak. <laughs> you know, I, it, it, and it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, the evening went on normally. The shul was packed. And the Mayor Kahani, uh, you know, did his thing. And uh, they stood on the side. And then nobody knew. I knew. And then uh, Rabbi Kahani didn't know yet. I didn't want to tell him. Because... I don't want to upset, you know, he's going to speak. You know, I don't want to say anything to him. And it's interesting. He spoke about an hour. And the first 15 minutes was just a normal speech that any Rav would give about Aliyah, about the importance of the land of Israel, about living in Israel. There's no future for the Jews in the Galut. He says, Jews are constantly running. I remember he said, people, he says, I know they ran from Montreal to Toronto because of the uh, the separatists at that time and so on. Says they people run from Montreal to Toronto. Then something will happen in Toronto, they'll run to Winnipeg. Then something will happen in Winnipeg and they'll run to Vancouver. And then something will happen in Vancouver. Where are you going to run? Into the ocean. He says, the home of the Jewish people is the land of Israel. You know, it was, it's a, an, an aliyah kind of speech. And, I'm, and people were thinking, they told me later, I, if, uh, talking to some people, that they were sort of wondering, that that's Mayor Kahani? You know, they were waiting for for something real, uh, really, you know, uh, outlandish or, or, or radical because he had that reputation, you know. So the last 10 minutes, and I knew, he sort of winked to me, you know, and he, sort of the last 10 minutes of his hourly talk is when he got into the Arab situation and how they should be paid or so on, that they should be expelled from Israel. They have no, they have no right to be there. This is our homeland. They're a danger. It's a fifth column. Those living in Israel, he went on and on and on about that. And, and that's, uh, that's his thing. That's why he believed. You know, so that made him, I guess, uh, in the eyes of uh, some people, radical. After it was over... And people were standing around him asking questions and so on. The police went up to him. Those three three cops that came to me originally, three big guys uh, from the RCMP. People have the image of the RCMP with the with the colorful uniform and so on. That's only for for the parades, you know, for for the for the tourists. They 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 were plain clothes policemen and. And they, they apologized to him. They said, no, we, we know you're a rabbi, so on, but we have... And he was so excited by it. He loved it. And he said, take me, and he had his hands in. I want you to cuff me and carry me out. 
They said, no, 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 we, we don't cuff you, we don't have to cuff you, just come, you know. This. He had and a flair for the dramatic. And he wanted the dramatic, and I'll tell you it's uh, what happened. They took him to a detention center. It happened that night, it was a Sunday. Uh, Sunday night, Sunday night we had in our shul, the Orchaim Yeshiva, the Orchaim, they had their annual dinner. I don't know if they still, I don't think they have them anymore. They might, you know, as the, they used to have an annual dinner and so on, at the end of, at uh, end of May, June, when he went, and Dafke, that night, that uh, they had it in our shul. And I knew he's not going to eat their food and or whatever they give him down there in the detention center, because they said they're going to keep him overnight. And then expel him, and then he'd have to leave, you know. And then I uh, plane out. Anyway, so he, um, so we, I, I was able to get food from the kitchens in our shul because of that dinner, and I spent the night with him, who actually accompanied me, but then left. Was Reverend? You won't, you probably won't remember the name. There used to be a member of the Liberal Party. He was in the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party was much different then than it is today. Today I'm a Harper supporter or a Sheer supporter, Sheer or Sheer, how you pronounce it. But in any case, uh, those days with liberal government, probably Jean Chrétien, I imagine, was the prime minister then, and he, uh, or maybe it was Trudeau, the end of the end of Trudeau Senior, the end of his uh, career. Uh, but the member of parliament in our area, that's a Downsview, uh, was, uh, not Downsview, Lawrence Eglinton area, was uh, Reverend de Cornet. He was an Anglican priest, Reverend de Cornet, but he was an obvious row. He had a tremendous attachment. Of course, he needed the Jewish vote, I guess, you know, but uh, I, I think he was somewhat sincere in his feelings. And he came, uh, came with me to the detention center to spend time with Rabbi Kahani. And we brought him food. And I remember I coming in, into the cell, and he's not wearing a yarmulke. I said, uh, Reb Mayer, where's your yarmulke? What, what, what happened? He said, they took it away from me. They said, uh, no, no head covers. So I asked to see the warden. It was a, I, I believe I remember it was a woman. She was very nice, actually. And I said, you know, he's a rabbi. And a, a Jew, I said, it's nothing to be even a rabbi. He said, religious Jews. I said, I'm sure you know. You, we cover our head. Well, you know, I should... You know, so he said, we have a rule here that no headgear, because some of those with the Sikhs and they wear turbans and so on, they hide, used to hide stuff inside. So they made a rule, no no headgear, so you can't hide anything. And I remember making a little joke out of it. I lifted my yarmulke and I said, how much do you think you can hide under here, you know? So she looked and laughed and said, I guess you're right, you know? I said, he's not going to eat without his, without his yarmulke, without his head cover. I said, we brought him food and so on. So they, they brought him back his, his yarmulke. In the morning, they, you know, I signed, they signed out, and they put him in my custody for 24 hours. It was within 24 hours, so he asked me to arrange a press conference. And we had a press conference in the shul, the, bottom, the downstairs of our shul at Shard Villa. The Globe Mail was there. I don't, the National Post, I don't believe it even existed then. The Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the, the Sun, uh, the, some TV, uh, CBC, and so on. And, and, um, uh, he, it was unbelievable, and uh, I remember the journalist of the Globe asked him, "Are you upset? How do you feel being arrested? You come into Canada and you're arrested." Uh, so he said, "How do I feel?" He said, 
You all played into my hands. I orchestrated this, which wasn't true. <laughs> he, you know, and he said, "This is." They said, "You're going to have me on the front pages of your paper." He says, "That's exactly what." And, and he was. He was on the front pages of all the newspapers. We even were able to arrange, and that was the the phenomena, uh, the end of this whole story, that the late Barbara Fromm the Fromm Library here, I go here on, you know, on, on the Covington in, in the Lawrence area, Lawrence and Covington, Bathurst and Covington, the Fromm Library. I think it's named after her. That's right, Barbara Fromm. Uh, so she, she was uh, the uh, newscaster every evening, CBC Nightly News, and she had him on for about twenty minutes, interview coast to coast. He said to me, if he had fifty million dollars, he could not buy this publicity. He thanked me over, you know, it's as if it was all hashgacha. I, you know, like it all sort of fell into place. Like Hashem orchestrated it. Like it all, you know, and uh, and that's how he left. He left, you know, the the country, and uh, it was quite it was quite an experience. That is quite the story. So he saw it as kind of a blessing in disguise. Uh, he saw it as a blessing, not so much in disguise. I mean, an open an open bracha, but. Uh, I, I often participated in demonstrations downtown when uh, Israeli issues were involved, and we knew that the Arabs were demonstrating or or, or anti-Semites were demonstrating. So I, I got involved in these things because I felt it was important that the rabbis, if we're going to take some kind of role in our in leadership, you know, and so on, I, I felt this was important. So what about to go from global politics, I guess, to Jewish politics? I know that you were uh, the president of the Vatarbanam, and I guess right. you had a role in the Bethden. What, what was that like, and can you kind of describe any interesting stories or well, challenges? Well, I'll tell you, one of the greatest accomplishments that the Vatarbanam accomplished uh, collectively, all of us. I don't take uh, any personal credit because we were a group. We were a very close knit group. The late Rabbi Hoshander was very much involved in it. The Diana family, Rav Schleiman Miller, should live and be well, and so on. we we were we were all together. You know, it, 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 things have changed, in my opinion, not not really for the good. There seems to be more of a north south division in the community. Uh, where the, even the the very concept of a vad harabanim that we all got together, you know, I used to make sure every month, once a month, we got together different shuls, volunteered, we had lunch, you know, and the the shul provided, you know, and we just rotated the various shuls and and uh, to discuss various policies. And I think one of the greatest accomplishments we did we had was the Arab. Uh, Rav, Rav Simcha Cook, Chief Rabbi of Rehovot, the nephew of, uh, I guess, the more famous uh, of Ramisa Cook, uh, you know, for, uh, first Chief Rabbi of Palestine in those days, Rav Cook, that's his nephew. Uh, Rav Simcha Cook, he came here on one of his visits to Toronto, and we showed him around and so on, and he said to me, personally, he said to me, he's never met an Arab so meticulously constructed and under such halachic uh, uh, proper gun he said I love these were his words I'm, I'm, I'm almost uh, quoting him I don't know exact but something to the effect alavai in Eretz Yisrael we had such Erevin and that's one of the great great things we did and I think it should be mentioned it was done with the haskama uh, with the approval and input 
of Rav Price. Zeichel Tzadikov Rav Price is no longer alive, but he's he was involved with the first era of many many, you know, years ago. Most of us the at that time, except with exception of one or two, whatever, most of the Rabboni weren't even born at that time. When Rav Price came here and made the, that original Arab, but the, the community changed and we moved. It was no longer, uh, you know, college and, and and Dundas and Spadina. Like it was. Uh, well, I guess you know, as you grow and you get bigger. Sure, sure. We had got bigger and the, the, and the communities uh, expanded and and then of course uh, Thornhill came in, so on, and east, west. And, so with his uh, understanding and input and so on, and uh, with Shlomo Miller's guidance, halachic guidance, and so on, we 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 built that Arab. We built that Arab, and uh, I think it was a very important uh, accomplishment. But w- w- we had there was a certain sense of achdus amongst the rabbonim we had in the shuls. You know, a little bit more to the right, a little bit less right, whatever. You know, all the orthodox rabbonim, by and large, we were all part of the vana rabbonim. Including uh, the Sfardish Rabbanim here, you know, uh, and and, uh, the, and Ashkenaz. I mean, we were all all, all together. I get the, the you know when I come back, you know, every so often we come back here to Toronto from Eretz Yisrael and to visit our family, our children, and so on. And I speak to the it, that that unity that we once had in the community is not there, uh, and and they commiserate. Uh, one of the Rabbanim said, uh, you know. They, it's chaval. Uh, it's chaval. It's it's uh, it's something that uh, you know it, it shouldn't be. The other thing that I you know if you ask me about the Toronto community, uh, times have changed and uh, and so on. And uh, something must be done if the Toronto film community, especially, if they want to, uh, unless we all go to Ashishro, which is the ultimate answer. You know, I'm ready. You I know. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to welcome everyone. You know, to the, my wife had this dream. We talked about it many years. I, I don't like. I, I mentioned at our meeting here before. I don't uh, push too much. I mean, people ask me, and I tell them about Eretz Yisrael and that wonderful Israel and so on. But they, like, it's not for me to push it because I'm a late comer myself. So it's not. I don't think it's appropriate for me. You know, to to uh, tell somebody else. You know what to do. Everybody has their own cheshbonos. You know, they have to uh, you know, decide for themselves their own. But one thing Toronto must do, it's going to thrive, continue to thrive. I mean, the reputation is there. People, even in Israel, say, oh, Toronto, you know, they have has a wonderful image. You know, it's a, they have to do something with the tuitions in the city. It's getting so out of hand that there are, every day, that in the few weeks we've been here, the th- about a month we've been here now, and we'll soon be, soon be heading back Bar Hashem back to to Yisrael. but all we keep hearing is this one left, this one left, this couple is going, this one, my own child, my own children, my own son and his family, you know, uh, who 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 were raised here until my, my son came here. Uh, that uh, my son Shmuel, he was like one year old, one and a half years old, or two years, something like that, and he was raised his whole life here was in Toronto, and he, his children were born, his children, so on. But the, uh, you know, they got up and moved to Cleveland. They said there they can manage in terms of the tuitions, tuitions, which is eating up families here, unless they have, you know, uh, grandparents or other members of the family that can help and so on, but not many don't and are unable to cope with it. 
and something has to be done. Otherwise, more and more are going to leave the community. They just can't can't handle it. Yeah, the cost of living in Toronto is a significant issue, and the sustainability, as you say, is a yeah. challenge. I mean, the f- cost of I- living in terms of uh, food and is that. A- you know, we were just in New York for a few days visiting our son there. I think it all evens itself out somehow, one way or another. But the tuitions, the tu- America suffers from that too. It just that happens that the community, the Jewish community of Cleveland, have the wisdom and understanding that if you're going that to 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 subsidize to a very large degree, this is not government money. The American government separation, church and state, and so on. They don't. They don't. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ohio does in fact give vouchers. And maybe how Ohio has some vouchers so that that's they give. One of the reasons why tuition but, is so cheap. Right. There's vouchers from the state, state of Ohio, plus the local community itself. So how do we, as a community, then try to resolve this issue? Com- I know we try. I must say, the, the we we. I, I was a big supporter of John Tory, who was now mayor, but he ran for prime for premier of Ontario. Right. You might remember. It didn't go very well. No, it didn't. And we convinced him. I was part of that group. I must tell you, I made robocalls in the community, and some of the uh, politicians that I. <laughs> how would I say spoke out against were very upset with me people I know one I won't say any names but one particular politician whose son I married I, 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 I performed the ceremony for his son and I called people not to vote for him because he's part of a party that said they openly they would not help you know private but John Tory said he would and we pushed him and unfortunately Ontario was not uh, is not ready for it. Didn't want it. Uh, whatever. So the the other the only answer is the only other answer I can think of is to somehow get to the to the general community where there are there is there is massive funding. I mean, I drive by on Bathurst and I see the new Jewish center going up. So I think it's going to be called the Sherman Center. That's right. Sherman's all of us on Sherman. That tragedy still not been solved. Uh, and um, and I'm thinking to myself. I mean, I, I know a little bit the story behind it and so on. You know, without going into any details. But there's many millions of dollars going into that building that's going up that we now see on Bathurst, uh, just uh, north of Shepherd. And I'm thinking to myself, if even half of that, I mean, do they does the community honestly believe that Judaism, Jewish continuity, uh, uh, the 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 vibrancy of a community will be enhanced because we have a beautiful new Jewish center? You know, they built these beautiful buildings up north, uh, the Chat, and so on, the new center up uh, way up north. Uh, and and the chat had to close down that building. They sold out so on because the, the parents couldn't afford to send them there anyway. So you had a beautiful building sitting there, and, and other schools buildings have been over the, the, uh, because of that. So I was thinking somehow we have to find a way to get to the uh, larger general community. The, 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 and if the Rabbanim were all united, and here I I would venture even to say that uh, other, quote, rabbis, conservative rabbis, who might even join in this effort, 
You know, this is like a whole communal effort. You know, sometimes, you know, when, when we need each other, we need each other. And then we can all... And I, to get to such, to get to these kind of families that have this kind of money, if half that money went into a foundation, we could probably cut fifty percent off the tuitions, uh, uh, and and the, these foundations would support the, these schools, and so that the teachers could be properly paid and so on. But the parents wouldn't have the sole burden; wouldn't have the sole burden. That's I think, uh, and that's what's happening in in some communities in America. There are one or two communities. Cleveland is one of them. Aside from the vouchers, there are gvirim there who got together and set up foundations to help those schools. Right. Um, it certainly is a significant issue. There's no question. I mean, I myself am a parent of uh, children in schools, and I know that it's something that parents across. By the way, that's an incentive for Aliyah as well. Oh, right. And in, in the community where I happen to live in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Aleph, uh, there are families there, young families from Toronto and elsewhere, who said they moved to Israel because they couldn't. Here they can handle. Yeah, I mean, the tuitions there are almost, quote, non-existent. I mean, it's, there's no comparison to what what they have okay, to pay it's, here. It's another, Hashem is reminding us, another reminder. And how? Um, is there any, um, you know, we're sharing some memories here. Are, are there any memories, interesting anecdotes that you have from your time at the Bethden um, that obviously some matters are sensitive, but anything that, that you know, obviously times have changed, but just interesting to know the history of Toronto. Well, we, we did, we, we had a functioning, I imagine it still exists, I uh, yeah, but uh, we had a functioning Beth Din where we would hear, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the things that happened at the Beth Din, just curious, somebody came in and, and took somebody else to a Beth Din over a pair of pants. <laughs> because it wasn't cleaned properly, and uh, you know, like sometimes it was, uh, but uh, justice is justice, whether it's uh, one penny or a thousand dollars. Like you know, uh, we, we had a function. I'll tell you, the rabbonim gave of their time. They gave of their time. You know, I myself, we would sit for hours sometimes. Sometimes a case could take two, three days. There was no payments involved. You know, they, uh, uh, it was it was hard, uh, you know it was. Uh, it was do, you think that was, do you think that was a chisarn? Was that a, was that a the, drawback in a way? Uh, in a way, it was. In, uh, you know, we tried. But I, I don't think I'm not sure we have it. I don't think. See, in London, England, London is a very organized community. The British are very organized, and uh, so in London they have a full functioning bet-in. That's all they do. They're not rabbonim of a community, like of, of a shul or something. They're 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 dayanim. Period. You know, we were thinking in those terms. We didn't know if we had enough, enough uh, um, uh, cases. You know, uh, to, to be able to. And, and again, it would, it would involve who's going to support them, the dayonim, and how are they going to be paid? Then you have to charge really some substantial money for people to bring cases to such a bezdin. You know, even though when sometimes people complained. You know, somebody once complained to me, they go to the Besden, uh, Ravox with the uh, Gittin. Let's say with Gittin, was running the Besden on Gittin. It used to be Rafelder, Zechert, uh, and uh, somebody complained to me that uh, once about the cost, was uh, that time was uh, three, four hundred dollars or something, you know. So I said to that person, tell me, how much did you pay the lawyer? You know, and uh, they started uh, laughing. Well, he's a lawyer, you know. So I said, well, these Rabbani were hardly trained, educated, <laughs> people in the, you know, uh, but uh, 
you know, uh, the the one one of the things that happened to the Besden that did was an issue with us. You're asking me about events and things. Was um, uh, Sharia law when the, when when the Islamic community spread its wings in Ontario uh, and they began to implement Sharia law. Many women, Islamic women, apparently complained to the government of Ontario, province of Ontario, uh, to put a stop to it because uh, they were frightened by it. Uh, without going to the details of Sharia law, but you, got, you know, people can Google it and find out. And I'm sure most people know, you know, what, what Sharia law is and could be. Uh, and uh, because the province of Ontario was at the point of being of uh, passing legislation to recognize the Sharia courts. Women protested. Uh, the Islamic women. Nothing to do with us. What do we have to do with the Islamic thing? Nothing to do with us. But what happened was, and McGinty told this to me personally. That time I was the president of VAD. He said to me, Rabbi, i got to tell you this, but uh, we have no choice. There's no choice. We are going to introduce legislation, but we cannot introduce legislation outlawing Sharia law. We because that would be thrown out of the charter. You know, we're going against the religion. What we're going to do is because up until that happened, our decisions of the best then carried weight in the regular courts. If somebody had a decision and had a written, it was written out, it was all done properly, and it didn't violate. You know, we were very careful. It didn't violate the the uh, how would you say it? Uh, the uh, natural justice. Yeah, the justice of uh, the province of Ontario. The you know the and so on. Uh, so they recognized our decisions. In other words, somebody would come down to court, and the other party would say, "We already had it adjudicated. We went to the rabbis to the bed in, and here's the letter from the rabbis. He owes me five hundred dollars. You know, and the judge would say, "Yeah, you owe five hundred dollars. It's a proper thing." Okay, you can't come here. You know, that all stopped because once they outlawed or said we will not recognize Sharia courts, in other words, they could not say sure They just outlawed religious courts, and we were included. We were included. That that caused a little bit of, a, uh, as we say, a monkey wrench. And I'm using that term again. It 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 it, it did cause us the, uh, an issue. It was a, a real big issue to deal with. Because uh, somebody would come, even though they what, what we so what we decided to do at that point was to have people sign arbitration agreements. Now, once you sign an arbitration agreement that you agree to the arbitration of the bet, then it's a contract. You're uh, you know, so via contract law, we were able to. Uh, by the way, my son. Who just moved to Cleveland? Who's a family law? He's getting a lot of press in this court case. Well, he, uh, Shmuel, if you look in Hansard, you know what Hansard is. Hansard is the book that records all events of the Parliament, uh, year by year by year by year. And I don't remember the exact year, but you'll see his name mentioned as having been one of the authors of the uh, Get Law in Canada. Uh, he made a presentation to the. Uh, Judicial Committee in Ottawa, uh, uh, and so on, and, and his name is mentioned, Schmulstern. Uh, I just thought I'd mention it. Lots of nachas. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, 
and uh, but uh, but uh, you know, other than that, uh, it, you know, it, we have a, a we 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 organized and we had a a, a best on on um, Gerus, which we were very careful. One of the things that the community here in Toronto should know. Okay, if you're not directly involved in it and have any issues that you would need these things, you would probably not know. The documents, any document that came out of Toronto, w- whether it was Gittin, Geras, Kedushin, any document signed by our Rabbanim from the Vad and so on, was never questioned in Eretz Yisrael. As you've heard of other situations and other cases uh, that came up, we had never ever had any any, uh, I've actually heard that myself. The Toronto's rabbis. Uh, I've yeah. signed, you know, because people needed signatures from a rabbi that they're Jewish when they make aliyah or something. So you have to have proof of Jewishness, because when you come into Israel, they have the law of Chokashivut, uh, the law of return, where you you're a citizen immediately. It's an amazing thing. You come into Israel, you're a Jew. You come in on Monday, Tuesday. There's an election. You vote. You get to vote on Tuesday. Because uh, because uh, you're a Jew, this is your homeland. This is your homeland. Kolkashvut, uh, and uh, so a lot of people or people who did make Aliyah needed letters from Orthodox rabbis. Orthodox rabbis. <laughs> uh, so uh, those people I knew uh, were no problem. You know, uh, those people I didn't know who would come to me. We have to investigate, literally investigate. Who are you? who are your parents? Who are your grandparents? Who married them? And so on. And to investigate, make sure it's all proper. And then I never had a letter that was returned. And all the Rabboni will tell you that. That coming out of Toronto, Bar Hashem, we have that kind of reputation. And by the way, you see COR products on the shelves in Israel. I've That's, seen it. I, I'm very pleased to hear that. I've seen it. COR products uh, on the shelves of Israel. So let's fast forward in your biography a little bit. I mean, obviously, at a certain time, you decided to retire. H- how did you make that decision? How does a rabbi decide to make that decision? Uh, and then, <laughs> and then after that, we'll get to obviously. Israel we Bible. had we we had this dream of of of, uh, of Eretz Yisrael, and I was thirty two years in the shul. Thirty two is a lave, right? Lave Lamed base. I've seen some of my colleagues who passed away while they were rabbis, both here and in the states. And I told, uh, I said to my wife one day, I came, came home after a certain levaya. I don't want to mention names. Too painful, actually. I said to my wife, you know, I don't want to be carried out of the shul. I think I'll walk out of the shul. The shul was wonderful. I know, I hear stories from other rabbis. You know, in Pirkei Ovis, you find there was, uh, you know, a person... You know, the joke is it's not a job for a Jewish boy type of thing and some Kehillis are can be pretty uh, tough uh, you know, to say it mildly on, on, on the rabbis and, and the experiences they've had and i never able to relate to that I, you know the people in Sharit Villa were unbelievably uh, kind and uh, generous and pleasant and respectful respectful at all times and and uh, I guess I could have continued, you know, but uh, we always had this dream, and we, my wife and I were thinking, you know, wait till we get sick and older, we won't be able to go at that point, you know, to be able to go when we can still, Baruch Hashem, still be somewhat mobile, you know, and we have children living there. I have, I have a, our son there, Tzvi, with his family, we have married grandchildren, 
great-grandchildren. We have family. I have a sister living there. Her children, some of her children, and I have nie- and nephews, nieces, nephews there. Um, and uh, we, we, we just decided uh, it was time. It was just, yeah, it's a feeling you have. Like, a feeling you get. You, know, you just come to a certain point saying, now is the right time. Now is the time. And, and the show had a dinner. They made, it was all very bakovedic. And now I still go into show when I'm here. I speak occasionally in the show, like if a shear in the show when I'm here and so on. And it's still part of my life. It's part of our life. Our children grew up there. All of our children grew up there. You know, it's, a, it's true. It's a little bit of a different crowd. Rob, I looked there's there now. He's doing a great job. And, and uh, you know, life goes on. You know, dar heilich vidar ba, sort of, you know, but... I'm not ready to heilich. <laughs> you know, we were heilich to Eretz Yisrael. That's right. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Maybe you yeah. can share some of your thoughts, what it's like for you to live in Eretz Yisrael now, what it's, yeah, your, your reflections. You. I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story, and I'll tell you what it means, to, what it's like living in Eretz Yisrael. First of all, there's a, th- a concept called Hashara Shechina. The Shechina is present. You feel the presence. But you can only feel that, I think, my opinion, if you live there, in other words, even when you visit, but mentally you know you're going back. Even if you're in the seminary, uh, a student, or in yeshiva, you come for a year, two years, whatever, you know, and it's wonderful, and, you know, Tyrus, you know, they say the Avir Yushalayim, Tyrus, Eretz Yisrael, all of these wonderful things. But you have a mindset, I know I'm going back. That's why if somebody asks me, I know there are different views on that. I realize different opinions. People ask me, I'm visiting. Do I serve one day or two days? You know, Pesach, Shavuot, whatever. My answer is, you have a mindset you're going back, then you're in Golos. You're here visiting, okay? But it has to be, in my opinion, your mindset, you know. So, uh, but when you're living there, and your mindset is, this is my home. And when I, when, after, when we moved seven years ago, and we'd come back here to visit, some people say, oh, Rabbi, you know, welcome welcome home. And I would have to remind them, uh-uh, welcome back, I understand. Welcome home, no, it's Now nobody says to me, welcome home anymore. You've corrected them enough I've corrected them enough times. You know, welcome. So, so, you, so you do feel a certain sense when you bench and you say, Eretz, Chemda, Toiva, Urchava, you know, we bless Hashem for the land. You're, you're here, you're sitting here, living here, and you're thanking God that my feet is on the land that you gave us. You know, it's a different, even the benching is different. But here's a, a little anecdote, personal anecdote. I was walking home, it was Aseris Yemei Tshuva between Roshoni and Kippur, I don't know, three, four years ago. I'm walking home from the shopping center, what we call the Merkaz in our area. There's uh, all a bunch of stores there. Uh, I have a, a couple of bags I'm carrying. I remember it was Erev Shabbos, but it was Aseris Yemei Tshuva. Um, anyways, I'm holding some sh- some bags. I had gone pick up stuff for my wife. I'm walking up the streets, not far from where we are. A, a ten minute walk, twelve minute walk. A taxi, a monit, right? The monit, the taxi pulls up alongside me, rolls down the window, goes down. Adoni, Adoni, come over, come over. I come over. I thought he's the taxi driver could be lost, you know, asking me direction. I so I yeah, I said yeah. He says. Uh, where do you want to go? Come, I'll take you. Where, where would you like to go? Where are you going? So I said, excuse me, I didn't order a taxi. I, 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 I'm ten minutes away walking by car, it's two minutes. You know, like, I, I didn't order a taxi. He says, I didn't ask you to order a taxi. Where would you like to go? And he's insisting. 
I look at him, he's wearing a kippah. Later I was told by others, I took a chance. You never know who's, you know, it's his, you know, he still have the Arab issue, you know. You have to be careful, you know. You have to, you know, <laughs> use your head. But maybe I was a little naive. So I went into the taxi. And he's driving, and he says, so, where do you live? So I tell him where I live. He says, you sure? You, that's all you want to go? Maybe you want to go to Yerushalayim. I said, it's Erev Shabbos. What am I going to do Yerushalayim? I, I, I want to go home. My wife is waiting for the packages. You know, I, I got to go home. You know, I said, uh, uh, so I, he takes me up to where uh, to the apartment where I lived in the building, and I felt bad. So I take out my wallet, and I want to give him a few shekel. I mean, uh, he makes a living. I, it's not... I, not right, you know. He gives me a lift. It's not a lift. It's, he's a taxi driver. He got very upset. You know, put it away. Put it away. My, you know, what are you doing? Well, you know, what are you doing? Put it away. I don't want any. I said, I don't understand. I said, it's your parnosa. Like, why are you doing this? He looks at me and he says, you know, in a few days it's going to be on Kippur. I don't have enough zechutim. I don't, I, I don't think I did enough chesed. And I'm going to come to Hashem, you know, achet, achet, forgive us, you know. We, want, uh, we need your chesed, your rachamim, and so on. But I, I, I need to have something to come with. I need to have some merchandise to bring to Hashem, you know. So I figure if I give you a lift, I see you're walking with the packages, that's a chesed, a taxi driver. I came home, I said to my wife, where else? Can you imagine walking on Bathurst? And somebody on Bathurst, a taxi driver, come, come, I'll give you a lift. You know, it, it's it's. Uh, I can tell you other little anecdotes like that if if, uh, if you want. But the, the, when you're in Israel, you truly feel at home, and you get that feeling as soon as the plane lands, and and you you get off. You could be walking in the corridors. You're in the airport, whatever. I'm home. I'm back home. You, and I don't think you can have that real. You can say it. But I don't think you can have that real feeling if there's a mindset of going back. You're visiting for two weeks, for a month, for two months, for two years. But if the mindset is, I'm going back, I don't think you can have that feeling. That that feeling of that you're, you're, you're home. I know my wife, especially when we get ready, we're packing, we're getting ready to leave. She says, I wish we were already back. But we're going to see the children, you know. She, you're just packing and getting ready to come here you feel, I'm leaving my home. I'm leaving where I should be. So e- e- even though the language isn't the first language, and even though we're not familiar with the country, you're saying that you feel yeah, like this is home. It, it's, uh, you know, language there is not a barrier at all. Maybe for children who have to go to the schools. But it's, it's uh, first of all, you, you start, you know, I find myself thinking in Hebrew already instead of English. You, you pick it up. Uh, it, it depends a lot where you live. The truth is, in our area, those who are familiar, Ramat Beit Shemesh, which is mostly immigrants uh, from, uh, some, of course, from Canada, a lot from the United States, England, uh, South Africa, a lot of South Africans. Uh, and, of course, uh, we hear French a lot now. French Jews are coming in. Uh, sometimes you can walk there for days and weeks and not hear Hebrew. The, you know, it's strange. Hey, you go to a supermarket, so on. So they usually they the help the, the people, the salespeople, and so on. The language is not a barrier uh, at all. It just uh, you you feel you're at home. Uh, 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 the culture. I mean, wh- what's culture? Jewish culture. When a yontif comes, when Shabbos comes, I mean, Friday there, like the Arab Shabbos, because I'll, you know even halachically, Arab Shabbos should have a certain sense of kedusha. 
if you look at the Orach HaShulchan, uh, he speaks a lot about that, that idea that, you know, the, the Kedusha begins to, and you feel the Kedusha setting in. People coming and running with flowers there. They come and buy chalas, this, on the street. You know, the whole country, even, and I hate that word, chilonim. I, I, it's, it's a word I, I really don't like to use. Uh, I'd rather use the expression, the Lubavitch Reb actually coined the expression years ago, not yet from but the people are not so observant, but comes Erev Shabbos, everybody has, it's a Shabbos feeling in the air. That's why they call it Avir Yerushalayim. It's, you feel it in the air, literally. I mean, Yerushalayim is the symbol of the center of Erev Shabbos, but wherever you live in Israel, you can be there. Ramat in fact, in the Gemara Megillah, Beit Shemesh, according to some opinions, is a suburb of Yerushalayim. And then some hold that you should have in Purim, Tezvav, uh, other uh, 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 to hold uh, not, no, it should, not Shushan Purim but it should be Mamish Purim like in Yushalayim not, not everybody hold depend but you know but uh, you could when it doesn't matter where you live it doesn't matter where you live and you know it's interesting somebody told me I didn't experience it but in Tel Aviv you know the beaches you have beaches there so when it comes Rosh Hashanah you know the, that's the only Yontif that's two days uh, you know, in Israel, when you have Rosh Hashanah, when, uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, and then you go to Shabbos, which is three days, uh, Israelis have a hard time with it. We're, we're a little bit more used to it because we're coming from the Galut, and we're used to having three days, two days Yontif. But there, they used to have one day Yontif, but it comes at Rosh Hashanah. It's the only time you get three days, basically, you know. Uh, but so somebody told me, said it's an interesting phenomenon. The beaches could be, if it's warm, usually it's a warm day, it's, it's where just roll, right? So, uh, sometime in September, or even early October, it could still be very warm. The people sitting in the beautiful weather, they're sitting on the beaches, you know, they're not from people in Rosh Hashanah. And they're, they're on the beach, enjoying their, their beach life, whatever, swimming on. Kind of, they look at their watch, comes 11 o'clock, the whole beach area clears out. It, you know, people think in Tel Aviv there's no shul. A lot of shuls in Tel Aviv. You know, it's it's not Yerushalayim, you know, but it's yeah. So they 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 run with their shorts and their 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 uh, beach shoes. What do you call it? You know, sandals. the people have sandals or whatever they're wearing. You know, they run into the shul. They have to hit kiat shofar. Kiat shofar. They'll go in, hear the shofar blowing. There's that. They'll run back to the beach. But they know they're Jews. And they, it's Rosh Hashanah, and they have to hear the shark. And, and you ask me about the feeling. You know, okay, you don't walk, but you don't walk around thinking about a day and night because it would be difficult to function. But when you think about what, what we're surrounded with, and 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 how we go on every day, life goes on. Children go to school, and we build, we do it. We're, we're, you know, We say every day. You know, there are bunch. I, the only real answer is, oh, okay, we have an army, we have this, I have grandchildren in the army, whatever. Hashem protects that land. It's a, there's a special schus, a special protection that Hashem gives to that land because, you know, the old joke of uh, uh, Malach said to God when God said, uh, I'm going to give the Jews a land flowing milk and honey, a beautiful, wonderful land. And, uh, and the, the Malach, uh, the angel said to God, what are the Jews... Uh, do to deserve all that. Why would you give them all that? So God said to Val, don't envy them too much, he said. Wait till you see the neighbors they get. Okay, so then we should all join you, Rabbi Stern, together, all the listeners of the Corecast and all the people in Toronto and beyond um, should, should join you soon. We're so honored and privileged 
uh, both to have had you serve the community here for so many years and to, to see you flourishing there and to have you join us on the Corecast. It's a pleasure. Thank, thank you so much and for joining us. I want to be amongst the earliest to wish everybody a new year won't be long. I know it's we're still in the three weeks. Daven hard enough. We won't need Tisha B'Av. You know, we'll build a base on Migdash. And uh, hopefully in this new year on Yom Kippur, when we say Lishana Haba, it should be Lishana Hazos. It should be this year everybody will be coming to Eretz Yisrael. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi Stern. Well, that's our show for today. I know, so hard to say goodbye. So if you enjoyed the Corecast, you can find an archive of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the COR website at cor.ca. See you next time on the Corecast.